0: Hello, hello everyone. This is Kim C and you're listening to The Year of Underrated Stephen King. This is a literary book podcast where this university fiction teacher has a little bit of a crush on a guy named Roland Deschain. Hey, hey everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I'm super excited to be with all of you do forgive the little bit of a delay we had uh, over these past few weeks. I think just needed a small winter's nap. Um, We were sort of churning out lots of thoughts and content on uh, King, King Television. We went through the Green Mile and I don't know if it's just sort of we're at the tail end of Year of the Ox and (laughs) we're just exhausted or if it's just sort of the world climate in general of uh, just wanting to let the holiday season encircle us like a blanket and kind of take a breather. And so in these past couple weeks, I've kind of taken off the podcaster hat for a second and jumped into my reading zone. I decided to make sure I did not conclude the year 2021 without returning to the quartet, uh, Roland, and Susanna, and Eddie, and now Jake, uh, I wanted to get back to these lovely people and finish out 2021 with The Wastelands. So as you can see, I've decided to split this episode into two parts. So it wasn't my original intention to do that because typically here on the show, We like to finish the novel, digest it, have it all ready to go with with the examination broken down into parts and zones and areas and just ready to explore it with everybody. However, oh my goodness. Um precious listeners, nobody told me the Wastelands was going to be such a decadent feast. Holy crap, do we have a lot going on in this installment, dear ones. Whoa, like I can, let's just say, here's where I'm at. I am a little past the uh, 350 page mark. This is a 600 page story. I am reading out of the 2003 paperback edition, the one that features a very menacing terrain with a skull on the cover. This is, it's pretty freaky. It's very cool. Um, so I'm using the paperback edition. I'm Typically, that is not my mo. I'm a hardback fan, but in a pinch, paperback will do just fine. Uh, So, in my copy, I'm halfway through, and I've just passed the second book, uh, which is titled *Lud*. The first book is *Jake*. The second is *Lud*. This is a very expansive, well-organized, well-structured, nicely narrated. There. Oh my gosh! uh, Before I start nerding out, I, I, I'm. About halfway through, a little over halfway through, and I have experienced so much. I am I'm just in awe of everything that is happening and there was just no way I could wait until I finished the entire book to talk with everybody. No way. I was like there's just too much in my head. There's too much I want to talk about. There's some pretty big questions that I have like there's a lot of world building going on in this one, dear friends, and I need to like get it out. I need to ask some questions of the Dark Tower fan community as well as constant readers in general. So I there's just no way. I was like, nope, I I gotta we gotta chop this. I I need to take a breather. I need to push my plate away for a second digest my food, (laughs) digest everything that has happened in this wild ride of a Dark Tower installment. My goodness. So I'm so thrilled to be with all of you guys today. This is part one of two parts because I just had to. The Wastelands. Wow, folks. I... Oh my gosh. So if you are just joining this podcast for the very first time, welcome, welcome. I hope you stay for a while and hang out with us. But uh, you will find out that I have never read The Dark Tower before. This is my very first journey. So it actually began this year. We're going to talk more about that in our final episode of 2021 when we take a look back at everything we covered, all things concerning King that we visited this year, But, uh, my very first title of 2021 was The Gunslinger, which what a wonderful way to kick off a new year. I loved it, especially the last part. The last part just slayed me, and even though the individual chapters were pretty wild, they were definitely out there, kind of disjointed, a little bit hard to, um a little bit hard to work with, a tiny bit. I had a lot of questions. However, once I reached that final chapter, The Man in Black, um, that was fan-freaking-tastic and totally won me over. And a couple months later, I had a blast reading 1987's Drawing of the Three. Oh my goodness, that was... Very delightful, it was super bombastic, absolutely wild. And I think I kind of fell in love with the character of Odetta, Detta, Susanna. Um, my goodness, I cannot even with that incredible triad woman. It's still blowing me away. Just the the just the wild, imaginative, symbolic, terrifying, um, She's a goddess, guys. She's an absolute goddess, and I talked a little bit about that in my drawing of the three episode. More on Susanna later. Holy hell, I could talk about her for months, but... I had a blast with Drawing of the Three, and I'm so happy to let The Wastelands be my final title of 2021. So we're halfway through it. I needed to just stop the car and get out and talk with you guys for a little bit because so much is happening, and I there's so much plot, you guys. This, this plot is just like... Whoa. Um, I, I do feel like I, a lot of us, at least here in the States are in a kind of a post Thanksgiving food coma and it really doesn't let up until mid January. You're kind of just in this fog of high calorie intake and cocktails and not wanting to be at work. And it's just, it's just the winter months or as the, uh, Scandinavian folks, specifically the Danes, it's hygge, hygge. We just want to be, we want to be cozy and, um, uh, we just want our creature comforts and this is that time of year for that. So The Wastelands is a delightful title to be reading in this final act of 2021. So I decided that I just needed to chat with you guys about it. This is part one of two. In this episode, we're going to take a look at what I'm enjoying so far. Uh, We'll of course check in with all of our characters, but there's a lot to celebrate thus far. We're going to. I might do a brief summary. I but I don't know if I can, guys. This is just I. I can't. There's so much going on. Um. So I might do a brief summary, or I might just kind of dive in with um, what I'm really enjoying, which is kind of what I did in the Drawing of the Three episode, uh, which is, you know, just kind of look at this like I would any other media that I'm observing for the first time. If it was a film, if it was a roller coaster ride, you know, this is my very first Dark Tower journey. This is my very first time reading The Wastelands. I have no idea what any of this is, What what is going on. Um, I do, I, ha- I was exposed as, what I'm coming to find out is like, holy crap, you guys, the Dark Tower is everywhere inside King's work And I know everyone knows this, the majority of constant readers do do. But I, now that I'm finally reading The Dark Tower and I'm making my way, I'm really observing that it's all over the place and I just haven't realized that until you start understanding this journey and uh, have your eyes open to it. For example, a couple months ago, I want to say this was actually last year, I read 1995's Rose Matter for the first time. That is a nutballs book. It's difficult but rewarding and inside that novel we have a character who Literally goes into a painting and transports herself into another world, and that world is the city of Lud. And now in the wastelands, I am in the city of Lud. So, uh, yeah, there was some dark tower stuff in 1995's Rose Matter. Um, there's, there's been a, a, a lot of stuff all over the place. Um, so much to discuss with, uh, the king within the king catalog that i'm finally now connecting the dots in my mind for example we have a clever little children's story called charlie the choo-choo and that story was featured in this year's 2021's SKTV, the Apple TV mini-series of Lisi's Story. There's a really freaky scene, I actually think it's in episode 2, where we are with the villain Jim Dooley in the public library. And he has a book in his hands, or yeah, it is actually in his, uh, his hands. Charlie the Choo Choo. So it's all coming together, dear friends. I think this is the novel that's really cementing a lot of things for me that, oh my gosh, the dark tower is everywhere. And this is a very rewarding experience for me because my King journey is quite unconventional. Unlike many uh, King readers who came to him very, very early in their lives, preteens and teens, I was 26. I had just finished grad school. That was my very first time. Uh, I read a king title ever in my life and it was a novella collection and I've just kind of had a very swirly, whirly, up and down uh, journey hopscotching all over the timeline, not chronological in the slightest. So this is a very rewarding moment for me. uh, In this book three, my very first time reading it, I'm about halfway through and there's so much amazing stuff that I really wanted to take pause and talk about it with everybody. So once more, the outline of this episode will be dissecting what I really, what I'm enjoying, what I'm having a really good time with, what I'm admiring, what I feel is working well. Uh, Because I'm not finished with the book, we're going to hold off on any kind of concluding, areas or segments. So that will, we'll save that for part two, my thoughts on kind of how it concludes. But we're just going to take a look. We're going to kind of do a little bit of an oil change here (laughs) and rejuvenate a little bit and decompress with what thus far I have learned about the wastelands, what I've enjoyed about the story thus far. We are halfway through. I'm, yeah, so I, I need to talk about it with folks. I know that, you know, typically I, I just finish the entire book and come to you with all of my thoughts succinctly wrapped in a bow and just ready to go. I can't, not with this one. I know that The Wasteland is very, from the amount of constant readers who I've Talked with regarding the tower, this is the one that is always in the spotlight. I think this is a very special title for a lot of tower junkies out there and I'm hoping to learn more uh, or why that is as I go forward. I haven't peeked or read any of the synopses of other novels trying to stay spoiler free But this title feels very special. It feels very episodic. It's cinematic. It's very meaningful. And we are in the heart of this friendship adventure, this fellowship. We are in it, guys. And it's very rewarding and meaningful to the reader. I'm really liking it. Uh, But before we go deeper and deeper and deeper into this cotet, adventure on the wastelands where they're headed to I just yeah we gotta have a conversation so I'd like to bring you my thoughts on these early observations of the wastelands Uh, I'd like to talk about what I've learned thus far as well as ask a few questions I think Matt from Tower Junkies is gonna help me with this we're gonna do a little bit of a progress report coming up to uh, help me understand some of these dark tower concepts because I think it's kind of like any course you take in school where level one, uh, you it just builds upon the other. So if you misunderstand any element and then you go to the next class and you don't get it, it's just going to get harder. So <laughs> I really need to make sure that I'm comprehending these dark tower concepts uh, before we go further, before we head toward wizard and glass. So This is going to be my final title of 2021. We are splitting the wastelands into two parts, so this is my very first time reading it. I hope you will enjoy some of my thoughts on the first 350 pages of this text. I'm having a really good time, dear friends. This is Um, fantasy is not a genre that I hang out with a lot. Uh, I would say the only other fantasy author I really enjoy is Neil Gaiman, who I always considered a kind of dark fantasy, more, you know, more fiction than even fantasy, rather. More, um, just literary almost, even though all of his stuff kind of has the fantastical he's he's like king to me where he just kind of transcends all titles and boundaries and he's just free to be uh, you know this this bright shiny diamond so uh, I, I'm very new to the fantasy genre, even though my students write quite a bit of it, and I'm often in the midst of fantastical worlds and societies and bodies of people and countries and kingdoms, and it's and it's a tremendous blast being a fiction teacher and reading student submissions of their fantastical creations. Um, but in my personal time, fantasy is not a genre I spend a lot of time with, so this is very new for me. Um, we we have a very unique situation with the wastelands. We have lots of Western elements as in like 1800s American Southwest kind of Western, which King was influenced by a lot of the spaghetti Westerns, specifically the good, the bad and the ugly for a few dollars more, um, all kinds of, uh, famous late seventies Westerns directed by Italian directors. So, uh, there's that. There's also these tremendous concepts of the world that has moved on, whether we are in future or past or, you know, just where in modernity are we? I don't know, and it seems like we're pre- we're more advanced than I originally thought because there's something in the distance looming called north central positronics WTF? I don't know. Uh, I got a lot of questions. Um, but my last Dark Tower connection that we're going to talk about here pretty soon in the next section is, of course... We've got some animals. So, I'm going to bring up one of these animals coming up here pretty soon, one specifically from a novel that is very near and dear to my heart. I know not a lot of you like it, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. So, more on that in the next section, but I'm hoping that you'll enjoy this little check-in. We're just sort of um popping the hood of the car and uh yeah, having a having a look. Uh, decompressing a little bit, taking a breather, um, just a pit stop to talk about this really cool installment of The Dark Tower. Um, I was kind of going over some of the King essays that King did intend for The Dark Tower to be a, an epic, epic novel. Like all seven books are one book. So this section, I shall refer to it as a section, is not balls in a wonderful way. There is so much going on. I just need to digest it with all of you guys. So this next part, we're just going to talk about what I'm having the most fun with, where I'm having some questions. And also there's a couple where I'm like, okay, come on, Steve, stop it. Like what, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What's going on there? So I hope you enjoy this tiny check-in into the wastelands. I need your help dark tower fans please make sure that i'm digesting this appropriately so i hopefully consider myself as a woman who does not dis who has not forgotten the face of her father so uh, help me along and let's explore the segments in the next section Dear ones, thank you so much for taking some time out of hopefully enjoying your holiday season to hang out with me as I explore the 1991 title, the third book in the Dark Tower saga The Wastelands. So, once more, as I covered in the previous section, I am not finished with the book, so my full and total analysis, especially the final moments, will be coming up soon in part two which I hope to have out for you uh, very soon after this one post but I just feel as lengthy and meaty and full of everything that this story is I had to make a pit stop I had to stop and have an extended break and talk about everything we've got going on in here but before we dive in to the wastelands uh, this is my buyer beware, my caveat and tour to everybody out there. This story, as I'm noticing, is just plot, 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 plot. I am going to be revealing some plot stuff that pops out. I also might accidentally kind of reveal some stuff in other novels. I'll do my best to not ruin everything for everyone, of course, but tread very carefully. In terms of the entire Dark Tower saga, thank heavens I actually haven't been spoiled as to how it ends or what the ending is or what happens to any of these characters. I have no idea. So this is my very first time making my way through the Dark Tower series of books. I have never read them before. This is the first time. So uh, I hopefully won't ruin any Dark Tower outcomes because I just don't know what they are. So uh, with that in mind, tread carefully knowing that I might I'm going to be talking a lot about this particular story, The Wastelands, as well as Drawing of the Three, and The Gunslinger. But anything other than those three, that's all I got, so you're safe. So if you're a book or two ahead of me, I don't know where where you're at or where we're going. Um, So I hopefully won't provide too many plot spoilers with this discussion. But just once more a heads up, I'm only going to be discussing in this episode the first 300 to 400 pages because that's approximately where I'm at in my reading right at this second. I do not yet know how The Wastelands ends, but that'll be coming up in part two. I just needed to unpack and discuss what we have thus far. So let's dive into it. Let's jump in, guys. What I'm really loving about The Wastelands is what King gets to do with this third installment in terms of making us, the reader, a very tasty sandwich. Uh think if you will a a nice panini (laughs) like a delicious smashing of ingredients between two warm pieces of bread i am a little hungry as we were recording but uh we've got the first two volumes of the gunslinger and the drawing and drawing of the three and that's one slice of bread with the gunslinger we've got this odd yet very entertaining kind of curious collection of separately written somewhat interconnected stories and they all kind of culminate into this epically awesome super kick-ass crescendo the final chapter the meeting of roland the gunslinger and the man in black who is this mysterious seemingly immortal all-knowing being who roland has been chasing for a very long time we find out what the dark tower is and have our brains just absolutely charbroiled and that's our one slice of bread there and then our other. Slice of bread is this absolutely wild ride of book two, Drawing of the Three, which begins immediately after the final moments of The Gunslinger and reveals itself to be this absolutely super duper action packed story, completely bombastic, totally 80s, over the top, lots of wonderful character development, which is a king fiction element that delights many, if not most, of his readers but Drawing of the Three is just nutballs.com and it's just full of grandeur and luxury and all kinds of wonderful King writing and King ideas kind of come in together. And then guys, then we get to the wastelands and the best part that I've noticed so far is this wonderful fusion of both stories. King has taken the gunslinger, he has taken drawing of the three and smashed them together in this panini press. And we've got inside an epic, layered, interesting, entertaining, and overall We've got a fully connected platform, a really tasty sandwich. Everything is smooshed together and placed before the reader, sliced diagonally. Thank you very much. And this cohesive body of work is so accessible, dear friends. It's really fun to plug in with. And I'm really enjoying that all of a sudden throughout the progression of the novel, all these people you've been hearing about in separate installments everybody gets together. And that togetherness is really wonderful. It's working extremely well well and there's just there's so much here guys it's just a very tasty literary experience and I am here for it I am all about it so let's dive in specifically to the three points I want to share with all of you guys concerning what I'm really enjoying most about the this first half of the wastelands so number one my topic is narrative structure because oh my goodness it is just winning me over heart and soul so i think i might have touched on this a little bit in our intro section we have two books in this 600 page according to my 2003 paperback copy we have two books Inside the first book called Jake goes to about page 303, and then the second, the book of Lud, it will take us to the very end. And inside the first book of Jake, we have alternating chapters. The first chapter is right with our squad who we left at the very end of Drawing of the Three where Odetta and Detta have fused to Susanna Dean, we've got Eddie Dean, and we've got Roland. So we're with our folks once more, they're hanging out, they're doing their camping thing, they're doing their gunslinger practice, it's all really rad, Uh, and we kind of find out that Roland is a little bit of a tricky issue in his mind. Then we jump to sweet baby Jake! We have not heard from him in a really long time since the gunslinger. In terms of directly interacting with his character we heard about him a little bit in kind of a peripheral way in drawing of the three when his fate was changed a little bit with the character of jack mort so good stuff there but jake we get to hear from him we get to interact with him we see his life as an 11 year old in late 1970s new york city and he too is plagued with the same kind of mental tug of war due to the fact that uh, I think he and Roland have a little bit of brain scramble. He was killed in one world, he was killed in this world, and then yet he survived in that world, and all of these fate threads are really tangled and jumbled and that's causing quite literal insanity uh but we we hopscotch we go from our quartet our destiny cohort then we jump to jake we jump back and then we get this absolutely epic climactic joining of worlds which is whoa we're gonna talk more about that in a little bit but then we sort of uh, grab uh grab jake and everybody is together and but the the narrative structure is so cool and what i'm noticing i'm not that far into lud we are in the city of lud with the destiny group Arcotet, and it's a very different kind of book guys it is the tone has shifted and it seems like the first half of the novel, we're just trying to get our people together and establish them together and really solidify the reader with this understanding of Ka and Katet and these guys are supposed to be together and they're all connected and it's a really beautiful dynamic. And now with Lud, what I'm noticing is they're kind of being ripped apart a little bit, which is very frightening for me. I am very concerned with some of these characters uh but Lud is different guys. It's like we're in a creepy town and we have our group of heroes who we love, who we are absolutely completely bought into. We just are so on the journey with them and some frightening stuff is beginning to happen and I really see the world expanding now that the first half of this book now that they've been joined together they're going to be broken apart and so the narrative structure when I look at sort of the chessboard of what King is doing with this story I am applauding dear friends like this is very cool there's a lot to this book a lot of world building going on and it is a little bit of a challenge especially for someone like myself who isn't too familiar with the fantasy genre. I don't seek it out as often as others do but I am enjoying it quite a bit and I really like what he's doing in terms of making it as clear as as possible but also a a really wonderful ride um and i love the fact that i can sit back and kind of remember the gunslinger and drawing of the three and i feel like Both have all come together. The sandwich has been made for me. I get to enjoy it, and I'm just not really confused anymore. Everything is brought together in terms of the previous two stories. So I really, really like that. And I think narrative structure has done nothing but exacerbate the good. So I'm really, really pleased with what I've been able to observe thus far. I love the two books. I love the change in tone I'm seeing and reading about. I love this journey of the characters finding each other and all getting to the same place with the alternating chapters, lots of development, great detail. I am a fan. All right, let's head to my second point, which is the pairings. The pairings that I'm noticing are... Well, I'm a little swoony. I'm really enjoying the character relationships King is creating. Number one, Susanna and Eddie. So if you guys jump back to my drawing of the three episode, uh, one of the problem areas I had with the story is that I was not digesting or rather I didn't want to digest the the Odetta Holmes and Eddie Dean romance it seemed very contrived it seemed totally left field and I don't like it when romance is shoved down my throat I it needs to be a natural uh calm sort of patient evolution where two people it's the right time it's there's all of these complicating factors that make a genuine romance just sing um, merrily on the page, and we did not have that in Drawing of the Three, at least according to my opinion. I was, I'm such a romance fan, so I'm pretty, uh, strict and or not very tolerant when it's just thrown out there, and I have to suspend my disbelief and just go with it. However, now i'm totally on board i'm totally on board and i i know this might be a poor comparison but i don't this is just a side tangent i am so smitten for the new uh well rather the uh the the current celebrity romance of ben Affleck and jennifer lopez if you guys didn't know they are back together and it's magic i am here for it i don't care if it's a publicity stunt i am it's real to me and i'm on board i love it i love it i love it it's like my favorite thing this holiday season and i feel that same kind of joy and magic for eddie and Susanna. i think that king is now showing rather than telling which is what we had in drawing of the three he was telling us they were together and loving each other and that eddie just you know adored her and it was like yeah right eddie's like 21 and a dum-dum no way but now it totally works because now king is showing us their intimacy and their sweetness and their care for each other the way they talk to each other the way they look at each other it's really it's feeling very lived in it's feeling genuine and i'm I'm a believer. I'm a believer of Eddie and Susanna. I want them together. And I'm actually at a point now where I do consider them married because I think Susanna with the name she chose, like that is her kind of commitment. It's as committed as she can be to this man by like choosing his name. So I really view them as a married couple and I like them together. It's working. It's sweet. I also like the fact that even though it's awkward, they're having physical intimacy together like it is a little awkward for poor Roland who's you know around the campfire a few feet from them and they're just trying to be physically intimate but I like it and I think that it's it's much less difficult to suspend my disbelief that they're together it it works I I really enjoy the fact that King is now showing us what a good couple they make and there's a lot of sweetness and friendship between them and I like it. I like it a lot. I like this pairing. I'm also very concerned. I'm very wrapped up in this romance because I believe in the first hundred pages we get a tiny little something something where Susanna says she has missed a menstrual cycle and she's a little concerned but guys I think I think her egg goes prego and oh my gosh they are in the wilderness and they are now in the city of lud which i'm not a huge fan of more on that later but i'm very concerned because if she's got a bun in the oven i am concerned i'm concerned for her i'm concerned for um yeah for for everybody involved but i'm also uh yeah that is a a new heaping of drama that is a side of drama in potato salad form that <laughs> served on our plate so I'm uh, I'm eager to find out more about that and if that's going to be a thing that King uses but I I love that there is romance I love that there are a couple I'm even more intrigued when we actually look at the character of Susanna more on that in a little bit because you know Eddie got to really blossom a lot in these first 300 pages in terms of this carving of key. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. So without biting off too much in that arena, I love the relationship of Eddie and Susanna. I believe it now. I'm here for it. I know I was a little bit of a hater in Drawing of the Three. It was only because it was just dropped on my lap a little too soon, a little too abruptly, but I'm totally on board now. I'm all about it. Uh, The next pairing I love, love, love is of course the bond between Roland and Jake. I, oh gosh. So in gunslinger i you know gunslinger is such kind of i look back on it the complexity of it the kind of random stories connected together but i don't know if the bond between jake and roland was as established in the gunslinger as it is now because there's just there's just so much newness happening and there's mutants and there's an oracle and we don't know where they are and we don't know what's going on with roland's past and and this guy named court and this hawk named david and it's either hawk or falcon. I might be getting my bird species wrong. Um, and you know, there's just a lot going on and I, I don't know if I would consider it less of a, I think that it could be a fraternal relationship, kind of a brotherly love between Roland and Jake, but I, I think there's more evidence to point to it being a paternal, a father-son relationship between Jake and Roland. And when we last see Jake fully he was depending on your perspective whether he fell but I think he was dropped he was dropped in the gunslinger he was definitely sacrificed um and and that sort of forgiveness and love and the the care that they have for one another um and then it's it's even exacerbated because we see as the reader we get to observe Jake's life in late 1970s New York and we see that his uh yeah his parental units aren't really the best his mom seems pretty detached and when she gets overwhelmed she just takes all the volume and checks out and his father is very status focused and is thrilled that his son is at a elite private school and uh yeah is taking cocaine all the time uh, unsure if it's abusing it but it sounds like it might be abuse um but yeah it's the it's that age of keeping up with the joneses and new york city high society and he's just trying to impress so he's physically present his father but i don't think he's emotionally present at all at all and it also sounds like there might be borderline verbal abuse, emotional abuse there. So we do not have a good paternal relationship with Jake and his own dad. And so this connection with Roland, it seems very, very father-son, like the kind of father that Jake would always want, like any kid would always want. However, on the other hand uh, of that sentiment, we also have this terrible realization as the reader that uh, even though Roland has immense love for Jake, has immense love for Susanna and Eddie, uh let's just say there's a giant pothole when it comes to the tower, and everybody falls into that pothole. Um, there's just a great big stumbling when Roland wants to be everything that they need him to be, but then there's a giant butt. But, comma, the tower. But the tower it is the the yeah the the big pothole the sort of stumbling rock that roland he, every single time there's an emotional moment where these characters need roland and they're like pledging their love love and loyalty and togetherness there's always this like but the tower um and i'm very concerned about that guys i have no idea what's gonna happen to these characters but my hypothesis my personal hypothesis on this is just like these people are all collateral damage and on on Roland's quest to the tower and we have that indicated in the tarot reading with the men in black and Roland I don't know how much we're supposed to interpret but hanging on to symbols in these past things you know death but not for you gunslinger and what all these people represent and there's a lot so I know I might be speaking too soon it's very early in the series still we're only three books in we have many more to go but um yeah i do love these pairings but i also love that we are consistently and constantly reminded that roland can never give his full heart because his heart is pulled toward the tower and that journey and he understands that these people are supposed to be in his life that they're a part of the the destiny cohort the quartet but but that's what it is but the tower and so i'm very concerned about that i do love that it's it's a complicated area of roland i really enjoy that it's uh it's a cool thing to be saddened about i think it does make me sad when i think about it So the pairings, that is my area that I'm really enjoying, the Eddie-Susanna relationship and the paternal exploration between Jake and Roland. So lastly, dear ones, in the area that's thrilling me oh so much, strong symbols. So the first category of strong symbols is animals. Okay guys, I am just seeing animals everywhere and there's a few of them who i've seen in other king works so i'm definitely got my ears perked up for that but firstly the animal we're exposed to right away is a giant beyond giant monster building sized bear whose name is Shardek, Shardek the bear. And I do believe if I'm correct, that bear makes an appearance in one of my top nine Stephen King novels, the year, whoops, <laughs> the girl who loved Tom Gordon. There's a wonderful climax at the end of that story where a bear appears and there's some batteries that fall out. I think it's Shardek the bear. Um, Hopefully that's him, unless it's. However, I don't remember the bear in in Tom Gordon being ginormous as it is here. So perhaps as he's wandering around worlds in time, he shrinks a little bit. Unsure, uh, but we have Shardik the bear, who's really large, and he's a, a guardian of sorts. He's very old. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a bear next we have mention of a spider or spiders that is a recurring animal um arachnid species that is mentioned and i'm a little concerned because i know of a spider who lives in dairy and that's all i'm gonna say there uh and so i'm wondering if there's a correlation i'm assuming there might be but, uh, there's some spiders in Jake's arena when we're following him around, uh, New York City. There's some spidery things where it's a recurring symbol that really causes the reader to grab onto it. So I did. The next animal symbol we observe is a turtle. So once more, I also know of a turtle who hangs out near dairy. Um, that one's pretty big. Uh, I believe the turtle is Maturin or Maturin, whoever you want to pronounce that uh, name. That is from the novel It. That's all I'm going to say there. We've got a turtle. Um, So I'm assuming these animals are connected to the tower. Shardik, the spider, Maturin. um, Yeah, so turtle, spider, bear... The last animal we have, I am smitten kitten for this guy because my inner seven-year-old is just singing over the fact that we have a precious animal. This little guy is known as a Billy Bumbler and he is described as half raccoon, uh, half dog, like a dogish raccoon hybrid kind of thing. He repeats sort of the last couple um, vowels you, you utter and his name is Oi because Jake started you know saying here boy here boy and he just heard the Oi and just would repeat it over and over again. I'm super in love. We have a precious little creature who walks around who adores Jake who uh is part of the quartet. I think. I hope. But he seems to be sticking around our our group a little bit and that is Oi. Oi is this little guy guys. He's like a raccoon dog thing who talks. So we've just got little animals all over the place and i'm i'm very into it i'm very into what they represent what they mean so hopefully more on that later so next we've got some colors uh firstly red specifically attached to red rose petals so we have red a red rose that's in jake's chapters as he's trying to find the key slash the door he finds the key but rather the door to Uh, to midworld, to this place where he knows he's supposed to be the, the place that is true as he writes in his school essay. And we have this beautiful red rose that's growing out of purple grass in the middle of an alley. It's very visual. It's very cinematic. We also, dear ones, if you jump back to the short story collection or rather story collection, um, Hearts in Atlantis. If you jump back to my first episode, I explore an absolutely fantastic novella called Low Men in Yellow Coats. There is a lovely uh, character in that novel named Ted Brodigan. I do believe he is connected to the tower, unsure how or where or why, but in the very last story of uh, or or rather in the very last part of Low Men in Yellow Coats, I believe. He- I could be getting that wrong. It's either at the end of the novella or the end of the collection, I'm unsure. He writes our main character, Bobby Garfield, and inside the envelope are red rose petals. So I am connecting some things that red rose petals are- to surround the dark tower there's a field of them so i yeah there's something about that also yellow uh the color yellow i don't know if i think i might have mentioned this once before but in general yellow for me is representing the ominous and villains uh for example in the mr mercedes trilogy the villain brady hartsfield is associated with the bright yellow smiley face uh also if you participated in this year's lisey story on apple tv to the 2021 release the villain of jim julie wears a kind of it's not a bright yellow, but it's kind of like a golden rod rain slicker that is yellow. More evil, more villainy. We have the literal low men in yellow coats. That novella, yellow is there. We also have in this story, the city of Lud. There's a guy, at least when I last stopped reading, there's a guy who comes upon our group and he has a yellow scarf around his neck and he is a villain, most definitely folks and i'm very concerned i'm very nervous about what's gonna happen with that but the color yellow i don't know if it's a dark tower thing oh i'm also forgetting inside the novel eleven we've got the yellow card man the yellow card man right outside the gate in which uh, jake epping appears when he goes back into the past uh we've got the yellow card man so we've got yellow my friends is that a dark tower thing i'm thinking it is i'm thinking it is it's just a hypothesis if i'm dead wrong that's okay i will learn in time but um yeah i'm making some connections that yellow is no bueno it is no good it is a color of villainy much like the number 19 is an ominous doom bringing number uh in the king world constant readers know the number 19 is nothing good it is not a oh 19 no 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 no, no. 19 is bad 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 it's always bad always 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 it is a it just brings doom and it uh, it every time it's associated with anybody it's not a good thing so i'm thinking yellow is the new 19 or rather yellow is a form of 19 so those are the symbols i'm kind of grabbing onto and they really kind of had the saturation turned up super bright in this installment of the dark tower series so uh we got those red, red rose petals, yellow, yellow scarf, yellow things, so all of that jazz. So those are the strong symbols that I'm observing thus far. So let's recap, dear ones, to uh, jump back the three areas that I'm really enjoying within The Wastelands. We've got the narrative structure. I am really loving how this story is juxtaposed, how it's uh, being told. Very, very impressed, very happy about that next we have number two the pairings I am solidly on board for the romance between Eddie and Susanna I'm loving it I get it I'm on board it's working for me and I'm very nervous with what's gonna happen to them because what they teach in all sort of fiction or any kind of screenwriting endeavors always kill your darlings when they're happiest it's just terrible especially in tv my god you get the anytime you have the characters finally hook up there's always tragedy around the corner so i'm very concerned Um, and then next the pairing of jake and roland and that wonderful paternal exchange the father and son bond even though there's a little bit of a pothole of the tower in between that it's still very genuine and wonderful and warm and i like it and then lastly we have the strong symbols we got a bunch of animals all over the place and we have some colors the red and the yellow the rose petals the rose the key the lock the we've we've got some stuff going on and um there's a train coming dear ones they're in pursuit of a train and it's not a good one so more on that in a little bit so that's what i'm digging thus far i would like to transition now to a section where, uh, yeah, we got, we got some stuff we got to talk about guys. We have a scene in particular that I'm a little concerned about. I'm going to bring that to your attention as well as some other shake my head areas. And then I'm going to unpack some of my dark tower associated questions because I do have a few. I need your help to make sure I am digesting this appropriately. So thank you guys so much. I'll see you in the next section. Bye-bye. Precious listeners, thank you so much for hanging out as we explore the first part—a two-part episode comprising the 1991 story, *The Wastelands*, Book Three in the Dark Tower saga. So, I hope you've been enjoying what we've covered thus far. I definitely need your help on this next area. So, if you haven't wrote the show yet now's the time. If you are a tower junkie, I crave your assistance. It's only going to get harder and more complex from here as I go along. So I would love if you would write into the show at underratedsk at gmail with any thoughts that you think might assist my comprehension of what's going on. Uh, Because yeah, this stuff is important. I got to get it right. I got to make sure that I didn't miss anything. And it's very possible that I did. So this is the section of the episode where we're going to talk about some of the areas I have some questions, as well as one scene in particular that I'm just struggling to understand. So let's start with that one. So the, the I only have, this is the only one that I found is like the most troubling. Um, I'm just a little curious about it and I'm trying to connect the dots, but this scene involves the entity... Detta Walker, which, if you guys remember, this is, of course, the very evil, malignant, psychopathic identity that lives inside of Odetta Holmes. Odetta Holmes is like the wholesome uh, freedom fighter from the 1960s and grew up with a, a very privileged life. And But she did encounter some tremendous tragedies, both from Jack Mort, this terrible serial killer villain who we learned about in Drawing of the Three. But her destiny as it, uh, might unfold, involves this super frightening woman named Detta Walker. So Detta returns a little bit, uh, to aid her friends and to assist Jake coming through, pulling through his world into their world. And, uh, for whatever reason, there has got to be a very diff toll to pay in terms of a very um it's dangerous and this is a very climactic area of book one jake where jake's trying to come through in he's found the doorway in a very old sort of ramshackle location uh, as it kind of revealed itself to be and this monstrous thing is trying to eat him the the floor really like the floor the walls and there's jagged shards of wood and splintery sharp everything and it's very action-packed, it's super climactic. And then on the other side we have Eddie who's gotta carve the key, Roland who's gotta like do his part. And then we have Susanna, who realizes that there's this sort of demonic entity slash presence that is blocking the door. So before we talk about the actual scene, I will have you guys jump back to my drawing of the three episode, because in that episode, I I am absolutely blown away by the character of Susanna Dean, guys, because she is a three-in-one woman. She is 10 out of 10 on the complexity and the wow scale. Like, I am just the imagination, the, the way this lady is just unfolding like an onion in the wildest way, but I do have a theory, an hypothesis, that King might have potentially, if not this exact goddess, but a goddess. Uh, the goddess Hecate. Hecate is a, a lady of many names, but she is associated with patrons of Wicca, she is a... Guardian of doorways and boundaries, realms and worlds, which holy crap, could we get any closer in regards to what uh, Odetta, Dada, Susanna do in this exact moment, which is um, facilitate. arrival facilitate the doorway or the pathway for Jake so I'm very my hypothesis let's just say got a little bigger when it comes to this next scene but oh my gosh Susanna Dean blows me away and I'm absolutely I'm speechless over her coolness and over what a wild character she is but if you want to nerd out research the goddess Hecate she is a three-in-one lady very similar to if you guys are Game of Thrones people, what they consistently say in their marriage vows in the Westeros world is Mother Maiden Crone and it's very similar. That is kind of the entity of Hecate. She's a three-in-one Persona and uh, very magical, very powerful. She can destroy you if she wants, or she can do the opposite and help you. It just depends on how she feels about you and uh, how loyal you are, but she's definitely associated with doorways, realms, magic, boundaries. Um, If you are a patron or you serve her, if you worship her, um, her entities, she's going to protect you. She's going to ensure you are not harmed, the survival of you. Whereas if you piss her off, good heaven help you um but the goddess hecate in conjunction or rather right next to the character of odetta dada Susanna. just oh my gosh i love it i think it's a thing i think uh there might have been some Uh, subtle inspiration to King on this three-in-one goddess because I really feel that Susanna's a goddess and she doesn't know it and we as the reader don't yet know it but I think, I think it is. I think she's, she's got some goddess stuff which I think we have a lot of goddessy kind of things in uh, King's work like Charlie McGee. Um, I haven't read Carrie yet but we've got some dark destroyer goddess-like stuff so this is a conversation I will nerd out um, much more in the future. It is a topic I love within the world of King. I'm getting too far off track now, but jump back to my episode on Drawing of the Three where I do talk quite a bit about the goddess Hecate and the character of Odetta, Dada Susanna. Um, so here's the scene I have a problem with. Uh, Susanna summons Dada to battle this demon that is preventing jake from coming through and however this demon sort of manifests in a incubus kind of way because i don't think it's a succubus because i i am assuming it based on king's description based on the text based on what we have in the text it is a uh, phallic in nature it's a little rapey and it definitely is striking me as sort of like a male incubus like entity um and the, we we get some wild descriptions such as um Suzanne or rather Detta proclaiming that it's like being raped by ice like <laughs> icy sharp cold terrible and basically it is rape like Odetta is being raped by this demon thing and she has to let it happen and she's kind of battling with it via sex and like it's wild and unfortunately dear friends like Dana is so over the top she's so bananas and crass that like she makes me laugh inappropriately and uh, I have to drop an F-bomb here. This is a direct quote from the text, so please cover the ears of young listeners if they are in attendance, but she- the direct quote from Deda Walker is, to this demon, I'm gonna fuck you to death. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and it's just- oh god, it's just- yet it is like a rapey thing, and we know it's a rapey thing because in the text, King talks about or rather reminds the reader how Detta, when she would take over Odetta's body, she would go to these roadside bars and she would flirt with these dudes and she would definitely go way too far with the flirtation. Like she would get into the car with them, acting like she was gonna um, allow them to have sex with her and then she would just like jump out last second or say nope i'm just kidding like jk i don't know what you thought but i'm done i'm over it you're boring now and a lot of them would like slap her in the face they would try to hurt her but she always managed to wiggle away and so in the text we have this terrible sort of cosmic rape going on we can't see the entity but Detta is describing kind of what's happening um or rather we're hearing about it from her perspective and there's this this area in the text where it's where she says she's getting what she should have what 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 was bound to happen to her all those times when she was messing around and being very risky with men it was like coming full circle the consequences to her actions and it was like this is not okay this is uh, I mean, dead is nuts and wild, but I don't want rape for anybody, ever, man or woman, anything. Nobody deserves rape. This was rough. But I guess my question is, is like, um, is this a thing <laughs> in terms of, is this kind of very strange rape scene something to do with the Crimson King? So, if you guys jump back to the gunslinger, there's that very strange area of the story. I think it's in the city of Tall still, where Roland is with this lady, Sylvia, who has kind of bewitched the town and she is pregnant with the Crimson King's baby, I think. Am I getting that right? Question mark but Roland kind of, this is nuts, uh, I actually, in my episode of The Gunslinger, had a very hard time with this part, portion of the story. I actually had to read it out loud because I didn't understand what was happening, but from some of you beautiful listeners out there, you have wrote me and kind of informed, here's kind of what went down in that scene, which was immensely helpful, thank you so much, but it seemed like Roland and his, uh, very, celestially powerful guns his weapons were able to kind of abort this crimson king fetus thing um i know that sounds wild please jump back to my episode for greater context or you can pick up the the gunslinger yourself to kind of refresh but the crimson king if he's just like impregnating people all over the place that seems maybe that's his mo he's very like zeus the the father of the the greek pantheon who went all over greece just impregnating random women and all these women had like demigods and that's how you get hercules that's how you get a lot of the heroes um that are just demigods their father was godlike and so i don't know I'm, i'm just getting a little off track there but this rape scene was very strange um and i was laughing inappropriately because it's detta and detta is so inappropriate and wild and it's to the point where I she just makes me nervous laugh because she's so bombastic and strange and um. yeah, I, I, everything inappropriate and wild just flies out of her mouth. And I don't think I was supposed to laugh. That's the thing. I shouldn't be laughing during a rape scene. So I was very conflicted with my emotions. Like, what is going on? I'm laughing. This is not okay, but it's Detta, and she's just so wild. Like, Detta is so wild. I don't know how they would ever bring her to the silver screen. Like, how they would ever do a film adaptation with, with Detta. Like, she's just they would have to kind of revise all of her lines because there's just no way it would ever be able to work in modern day which is no way. But anyway, so we've got a kind of cosmic rape scene with Detta suffering it from this entity. We're not exactly sure. However, I might have missed something. There was a lot going on. There was Jake almost being eaten by this wooden house thing. There was Roland trying to come through and help him. There was Daddy uh, Eddie who's like screaming and freaking out. This was a very action packed scene. So it's very possible I missed something. So. If this is not a Crimson King thing, which to my understanding, he's like a big bad, he is Um, sort of the puppeteer of the man in black the man in black serves the crimson king if i am correct tower junkies help me i don't know if that is correct um hopefully it's not too big of a spoiler if you do reveal this to me but okay so it's my comprehension that the man in black serves the crimson king the crimson king might have been what was trying to keep jake from coming to mid-world via this like cosmic rape but because susanna is so powerful because of data and Odetta, you know, she was able to stop him, but it was rapey. So I kind of just shake my head at that. Uh, you know, I don't really want to get into a huge conversation of like Stephen King's character, like why he did this, because there's a lot of things in Stephen King's work that I kind of shake my head at, and I've talked about them a little bit, such as his, you know, fixation on. Theses, you know that's a rabbit hole we have not the time to go down at this present episode but like you know I I'm I'll question it if there's no greater context and my my guess is that I think this might be a Crimson King thing. However, if it's not a Crimson King thing, I gotta know, so then I could kind of shake my head at this just being a random cosmic rape scene between worlds. So <laughs> I'm unsure. I'm unsure, and I really need your help with that. So that's the one scene in this first half of The Wastelands that has me very confused. I'm doing my best to suspend my disbelief and just whatever, whatever but I'm very very curious as to like what's going on why did this happen this way and if 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 rape is kind of like the Crimson King's mo then it's like okay well then this is just a thing that is associated with this villain which is not cool but yeah we're seeing a couple rapey things in the gunslinger we had that very weird Sylvia exchange between Roland and her and his guns we also have the oracle which Jake was present and like little Jake oh my god and then the Roland got like raped kind of by this Oracle entity. So I am concerned, dear ones. I'm concerned about what's going down in Midworld with this lack of consent and, and this invisible rape. Invisible rape might be happening all over the place. So uh yeah, I, I am concerned. That's all I'm going to say. So I'm going to suspend my judgments um, for... Uh, for a time when I have greater context, but this is kind of a plea rather just kind of stating of here's what I've got, here's what's like rent-free in my brain right now, non-stop, just looping around this very strange scene between Dedda as the gatekeeper, totally the goddess Hecate, just my five cents, and then, you know, there's this thing so don't know don't know might be hypothesizing a little too much i think i'm spiraling out of control so let's transition let's transition so that's the only scene i had the hugest problem with um the other area i don't know if it's just king like being an immature teenage boy here don't know but once we get to the city of lud which i won't talk too much about this because that'll be mostly what we fixate on for next episode but we have some warring tribes or warring groups inside of lud one of them is called the pubes p-u-b-e-s exactly i didn't want to go back to seventh grade but king forced us so i'm kind of like okay what's going on um don't know. Don't know about that. Uh, So I did have one question to the Dark Tower fans out there. I'm hoping you could assist me. So here are my big questions. I hope you write into the show and assist. Um, The first one is I'm having a little bit of trouble understanding the beam. So Because I am a verbal processor, which is why podcasting is immensely helpful for me. But I am one of those that just has to talk it out. So it's my understanding that is the beam kind of a yellow brick road to the tower? The yellow brick road i'm referring to of course is that from the wizard of oz which dorothy follows it and it leads to emerald city emerald city is where the wizard is which is where she has to go in order to get back home to kansas but the beam is as far as i can understand in the text it is a blast of light or color and we are able to see it in the sky yes question mark or is the beam kind of yellow brick roadish where it's kind of how each town has mapped the beam and the beam is the map to the tower i guess i'm struggling with i i know i've spent some time rereading the text rereading the area where roland is explaining to Susanna and eddie like this is the beam this is the thing it's writer it's very early in the story but it's like i don't I'm getting it. Is it a blast of light? Like a light beam very much like the eye of Sauron, where it's just this 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 beam of light, like this spotlight that they use for, you know, the bat signal kind of thing, where it just shoots up and you can follow it anywhere in midworld and it'll lead you. Like, what's going on? I I missed something. I think I missed something with the beam because I'm thinking about it and I'm like, this is not right. I don't know if this is right. So the beam. The second question I have is, uh, within the city of Lud. we have, uh, this frightening character with a scarf around his neck. I don't have his name right in front of me on my notes because I'm still reading that part, but, uh, I'm very nervous and he has, um, taken dear jake i'm very concerned but he has what's he's not looking too hot and it sounds like i mean he's extremely old but uh, i think roland says something about like it looks like he has a whore's disease quote and so i'm curious about this because if you jump back to the 1995 novel rose matter which is so underrated and definitely needs some more eyes on it We have the character of Rosie McClendon Daniels, she walks into a painting and she is in the city of Ludd which is very cool and she meets this lady, this sort of very cool Grecian looking woman on a pony facing a a sort of ruinous like stone area, it's some ruins. And this woman named matter who is very kick-ass as the novel progresses, but she kind of is isn't looking too hot herself, and she's got a flesh eating kind of thing where it looks grey and black and decaying. And is this a thing in Lud? Um, you know, this might be better left for the next episode. I might potentially find out the answer to my own question if I continue reading the book, but I couldn't help but think about Rose Matter, and she's in the city of Lud with her companion Dorcas, and they I don't know if Dorcas had the same kind of affliction, but Rosematter did, and she has like this kind of rot about her. So I don't know if this is like a LUD leprosy of sorts. Like, um, it's not exactly leprosy, but maybe it's kind of a LUD brand of, of human decay, but you're still alive, but you're kind of rotting. Um, so I'm wondering if that's what this freak show with the yellow scarf has, who's taken off with our precious Jake, and we are inside the city of LUD. We're trying to find a crazy train quite literally a crazy train um and so yeah i i would like to know if is there sort of something about lud that i'm not that i didn't digest yet in terms of are people there afflicted with some kind of disease if so please let me know. Um, because then, uh, Rose Matter and Wastelands will definitely sandwich in a really cool way. And I would like that because we're all about sandwiches in this episode. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's all I got guys. So to recap, if you guys could be of assistance to me and discuss the Detta Walker cosmic rape, that would be great. Um, I would also like some assistance on why we have a tribe called pubes, if that's a thing. Uh, I need to better understand the beam, I need to visualize it more, if anybody has some direct quotes there for me, please shoot them my way from the novel so that way I can revisit the text and figure out exactly where I might have got convoluted. And then this disease of lud citizens. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? Or was that just a one-off for the novel Rose Matter and it really doesn't have anything to do with the Wastelands or is there a correlation? I would love to know if there is a correlation. So. That's all I have for you folks in this first exploration part one of The Wastelands. I'm right around page, I think I'm almost at page 400. My hope is that I will have the second part out for you very very soon. Do forgive me immensely for taking such a long hiatus. It was definitely unexpected but sometimes it happens and we are in this for the long haul so every now and again we might have a little bit of a break but we promise to not be gone. Forever because we the, the road of King is stretchers ever on and we are in it to travel it with all of you. So Do forgive the delay on getting this content out to you, um, but we would love to hear from you as we are making our way, finishing up The Wastelands. This is such a meaty book, dear ones. This is so expansive and rich and exciting, and I really enjoy that everything's coming together. Everything is coming together, and that is so exciting. So, I hope to have the next part, part two of The Wastelands, completed for you in the next few weeks and definitely, definitely we are going to have a wrap-up episode probably dropping around New Year's Eve, my favorite day of the year New Year's is my favorite holiday of them all. We are going to look at our year of underrated king, we are going to take a look at everything we accomplished this year, the books we read, the shows we watched, and we're going to have a little countdown of our favorite villains our favorite heroes our favorite moments sidekicks all that good stuff you can jump back to the best of underrated king 2020 to kind of see the format i'm going to be duplicating it's a lot of fun Um, if you have a category you would like me to explore definitely let me know right into the show underrated sk at gmail we would so love to hear from you on any of the dark tower episodes i've covered thus far the gunslinger drawing of the three and now the wasteland so please assist me tower junkies and constant readers i really really need your help this is important stuff i don't want to get it wrong and i would like to you know have as much richness and reverence as i can for this immense body of work so if you guys haven't already please share the show with a king fan or a fellow book reader and head over to apple Podcasts to give the show a five star that is my christmas wish if you would be so kind you can either drop a five star or say something nice about the show if we have brought something lovely to your life or added to your king reading or your king journey that would mean the world to us who we're reaching who we get to spend time with all over the world so that would be the best present ever if you're in the realm of gift giving that would be uh the best one in the world so that's all i have for you guys thank you so much for hanging out with me as we explore part one of the wastelands and I will be back soon wherever you are uh please take care bundle up if you're in the northern hemisphere and if you're in the southern hemisphere especially my Aussie loves enjoy the beach I'll see you soon bye-bye